Uh, right now, I'm going to invite Maggie to share with us. How about we just start with a word of prayer? Father, we thank you that you love us as much as you do and that you have given your life for us, that you've given us everything. Oh Lord, help us now to truly hear your word. I pray that I can't be heard at all, but only that which you want people to hear will be heard and that I just forget everything else. I would rather five minutes of you than 20 of me any day. So let it just be your word, your word in Jesus' name. Amen. I recently heard a story um, of a man who decided that he was a scientist and he decided that he wanted to create super chickens. So he went about it in an interesting way. What he did was he took some chickens and for five or six generations, he would really look after them well. He would make sure they were free range. He would give them the best possible food. He did everything he could to keep them happy. They were great layers. He was really content. And then he put his experiment into place. So what he did was he took the best layer out of each of the batches and he put them together with the best rooster. And then, no, it wouldn't have been a rooster because then he wouldn't have any eggs. No. It, he put the best chickens together, the best layers. And they would then continue their job for the next few generations of chickens. Well, at the end of that, when the experiment was almost done, he was really excited. He wanted to see how things turned out. So he goes to the first lot of chicken, the first batch, and there they are. They are as happy as Larry. They are producing great eggs. They are doing everything beautifully, and they're very content and happy. So he can't wait to see how well the super chickens have gone done. So when he gets there to, to their, 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 what do you call their thing? Thanks, hutch is a good word. When he gets to their hutch, they, they were free-ranging, so no hutch. But at any rate, they were in an enclosed environment. And when he got there, to his surprise, there were only three chickens left. What could possibly have happened to these super chickens? Well, the problem was that each of them wanted to be the head super chicken. And so they pecked each other to death, trying to have the highest place. And only three of them had actually survived. I'm sure you've all heard the words, the pecking order. We get that from chickens who are pecking out the competition. How like our world that is. You know, our world teaches us that it is the brightest, the best, the most powerful, the most educated, the richest, the most beautiful, the most dominating people of our world that are the greatest. It teaches that honour and success are driven by our place in the world. Having a good job, a good income, a good house, the latest car, and by who we are associated with, people of prestige and power. The world teaches that us that the more we have and the more we are successful is what makes the difference. The problem with that, of course, is that there's always great fear of others coming along who are smarter, are more beautiful, are more powerful, are richer. The constant fear of losing prestige and value can seal people from joy and real life. These are Old Testament religious understandings of greatness. 
Living under the old covenant religion was about putting self first. That would never happen in the New Testament Christian world, would it? We would never put ourselves first, would we? Unfortunately, many professing Christians still live in an old covenant religious understanding of what greatness is. But those of us who have repented and received Jesus Christ in our lives as Lord and Saviour no longer belong to that old covenant religious world. We have been called to something of much greater value. Jesus had been trying to teach the disciples this over many, many months. But they had trouble getting it. Even in chapter 16 of Matthew, which we've been studying, you know, Jesus says to disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. This was just upside down teaching. Think of the Beatitudes. How upside down they were to the understanding of what the, new, the old covenant religion and I call it religion because that really was what it was. Religion is when we follow rules. And that's what they were doing. Jesus turned everything upside down. They didn't really understand what he was saying. The disciples believed that Jesus was the Son of God. They believed that he'd come to save the world. They trusted he would be king. But they didn't understand that Jesus' kingdom was all about. They didn't realize his kingdom was complete excuse me, completely upside down from the kingdoms of this world. So when Salome, who was the sister of Jesus' mother Mary, approaches her nephew and bows before him and asks him, says, teacher, please give me whatever I ask of you. Let my two sons, John and James, both Jesus' cousins and part of his inner circle, sit on your right and on your left when you come into your kingdom Jesus' heart must have sunk through the floor. After all that he had taught them, they still didn't get it. James and John desired honour by sitting, seeking a position of prominence with Jesus, who was well known for his amazing teaching, for his healing abilities. They knew that he was going to be coming into a kingdom and they really wanted a place of prominence in that. What was truly shocking to us was that Jesus had only just finished telling them in verses 18 and 19 that he was about to head into Jerusalem to be trialed, to be flogged, to be crucified and that he would be raised on the third day. They didn't appear to even hear it. They certainly didn't understand what he was saying or I doubt that they would have, or what it meant because I doubt they would have asked for those positions if they did. So Jesus turns to John and James and says, Yes, you, do know, says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink from the cup of suffering I'm going to drink from? Can you enter into my baptism? And they answer with a very clear, Yes, we can. Wrong answer. When we think we can achieve great things for God in our own strength and effort, we will fail. We think... When we think that we can do something ourselves, we are living in pride. They're saying, I am enough. I am strong enough. I am gifted enough. I am enough. The truth is, none of us are enough, ever. 
We all need Jesus' help through his spirit. If you are doing things for Jesus on your own, in your own strength, in your own power, in your own giftedness, then can I please tell you, ask you, beg you to stop. Just stop and go back to sitting in his presence. When we think we are enough, we are no longer the right person for the job. Just at this point, the other ten disciples come around and they are getting pretty upset. We could think that they felt angry because Jesus had just been talking about his upcoming suffering and these two disciples are talking about a place of position and honour. But the text implies that they were just upset because they didn't think of it first to ask Jesus for a place of prominence. And it's at this point that Jesus steps in and begins to teach them yet again about the need for servanthood. The question that I have wrestled with over these past few weeks is, what is servanthood? What, when Jesus was speaking about it, what did he really mean? For many years, I believed it was to do good towards others, to lend a helping hand as I saw fit, to sacrifice for the sake of others. I would pray and then I would run out and do whatever I thought was best. But it didn't take long for it to become more about me trying to earn brownie points with God through my sacrifices and my service. It became about me trying to look holy and spiritual and having it all together because I believed that's what people wanted and needed. It became my service towards others and I burned out. That's not what Jesus meant by servanthood at all. We have it upside down. When Jesus spoke on many occasions on servanthood, he looked at it as a shared journey with him. What is the dictionary definition of servant? It says, a person who performs duties for others, especially a person employed in a house of domestic duties or as a personal attendant. I believe Jesus calls us to that of a personal attendant. Bear with me as I try to explain what I mean. A personal attendant in the old days meant to be waiting on the one that you served. You spent a lot of time with that person. You watched them and you responded to the slightest movement, look or word that they spoke. Your attention and devotion were to that person and carried out any duties, requests or directions you were given by that person. But you were not their confidant. You didn't know their personal business. You didn't enter into what they were doing. However, for you and me, in our servanthood before Christ, Jesus took it a step further. In John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everyone, everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus changed the meaning of servant from the function of servant to the status of a servant and a friend. We were invited to not just do for him, but to be with him in a place of intimacy. This is much more than mere servanthood. 
Being a servant was no longer dependent on how much we try or how much we work at it or how much we do to earn that position. Jesus was teaching that greatness is not found by pursuing the worldly understanding of greatness, but by, su- but by pursuing Christ and walking in intimacy with him. It makes so much more sense of his teaching in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, when he says, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To come to him and to take up his yoke means to let him take off the yoke of the world and its expectations, to take off the burden of religion and the many requirements of the law, and to put on the yoke of Jesus' life, his forgiveness his love, his freedom, his presence in our lives. It gives understanding when he says in Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Often we think that's a contradiction in terms, but it isn't because he never contradicts himself. What is he asking us to deny ourselves from? To, To die to the things that separate us from him. So that there is room for Jesus in our lives. In those days, in Jesus' days, when a convicted criminal was condemned to the cross, they only carried one beam on their back. This one beam signified that it was a one-way direction. They would not be back that way again. When we take up our cross, we are choosing to walk in Jesus' direction and choosing not to come back to our own way. And it's a daily decision. It's not a decision about giving up things. It's not a decision by, you know, bravely carrying hurt and pain. We're talking about a decision to be in a Jesus Christ relationship with Jesus and the Spirit. A life so surrendered to Jesus that he is the heart and the core and the center of our lives. Every single day, he said, take up your cross and follow me. It's not the decision you make once, like accepting Jesus into your life and receiving his forgiveness. It's a daily decision to give him space in your life, in a place of intimacy with him. It's about putting Jesus in the heart and center and core of all our decisions every day. When we deny ourselves and make Jesus the center of our very core, we are also putting on the yoke that pairs us with him. He is the one who has the strength in every situation. He is the one who does the work in every situation. He is the one who leads us in every situation. He invites us into the same relationship he has with his Father. In John 5, 19, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Jesus had put his Father at the very center 
the very core of his being. He was not living his life to be seen as great or important or well-liked or popular. He was living his life to do what the Father was doing. That was his servanthood to the Father. And that is what we are called to do as well. We are called not so much to be each other's servant, but to be the servant of the living God. And out of that flows a love and a care for others. What can that look like when we know that he is the intimacy and that it is out of him that we actually are uh, living our lives? Well, when we think we should be praying for healing for someone, are we asking him to show us what he wants to do to pray into that situation, to show us what he is already doing in that situation and then pray with him on that? Or are we simply telling him what we think he should be doing? When we go to help someone in need, do we just step in and do what we judge to be best? Or do we ask him to show us what he is doing in that person's life and join him on that road? When someone is sharing a hurt with us, are we going to going straight in giving our own advice? Or are we asking Jesus to show us what he wants to do in their lives that might draw them closer to him? When we see the poor and we know we need to give, do we determine what we can afford? Or do we ask Jesus to show us what he wants us to use in what he is doing? The danger for us is not only that we determine what people need and jump in thinking we are serving. It's often to the detriment of the other person. We get in the way of that person seeing God at work in their lives, in their situation, and growing closer to him. When we seek the heart of Jesus every day in every situation, rather than jumping in where angels fear to tread, we will be enacting the call of being Jesus' servant. I can't even begin to tell you how incredibly freeing it is when Jesus is saying, we don't need to be religious. We don't have to stick to a whole bunch of laws. We don't need to be seen as humble servants. We don't need to be seen as perfect. We don't need to make Christianity work and we don't even need to make our churches grow. All we need to do is make him our center and then do whatever he asks and shows us. I am so thankful that he is teaching me not to focus on situations, which I have done for many years, but to focus on him and watch for what he is saying and doing and then act in response to him, not the situation. Now, I would love to tell you that is how I live my life every day. But it wouldn't be true. <laughs> there are moments that I do what he asks. But he's taking me on a journey of going deeper into him. He's gently leading and teaching me how to be his servant, his friend. Surrendered to him, seeking him, watching him and obeying him but also fellowshipping with him and just enjoying him. 
I still fall back to my old ways, often. But I'm trusting that in time I can learn with his help to keep my eyes focused on him through any given situation and go where he is going in that. Maybe some of you here this morning would also like to embark on a journey with him. Truth is, he's waiting for you. He's excited. He has wonderful experiences and fellowship waiting for you. All we have to do is say yes and then let his spirit lead us. I don't know where you're all at. I really don't. I barely know where I'm at. But I think if you're anything like me, you will be hungering and thirsting for more of God. Would you like to go on that journey, genuinely? To go deeper into Christ, deeper into his heart, deeper into his spirit, deeper into what he really has for you? If you do, then join me now as we pray. Father, We humbly come before you. So often we work hard to do what we think you want us to do and we are genuine in that, we are sincere in that. And so often we get it wrong because our sincerity and our genuineness in wanting to do it right isn't really what you're asking. You're just asking us to have you as our centre and to keep going back to you. We ask that by your spirit, you will help us. Help us to truly see you. Help us to truly know your heart in any given situation. Help us to go to you before we go to ourselves mm. to find answers. Mm. Let us grow in you and drink deeply of you and walk intimately with you. For we know then our lives are full. Then our joy is complete. And then we will truly understand the freedom and the simplicity of being your servants and what that means for others. We give you thanks that you never give up on us. You've never left us nor forsaken us. And you won't now. We ask that you would take us on a new journey <coughs> into the very heart of your being. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>